Yeah, where's it coming from? Let's find out. Hello and welcome to the Six Degrees of John Keel podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Barbara Fisher, and with me is Morgana. Tonight we are greeting Lynn Miller. She's the co-author of Convergence, the Interconnection of Extraordinary Experiences. She wrote it along with Barbara Mango, and it's a really interesting book. It's fascinating, and it's all about experiencers and their experiences and ideas as to why they have those experiences. Hello, Lynn. Hi. It's good to have you. It's great to be here. Okay, Morgana's going to start off because she's always really good about writing down questions. Thank you. Um, That actually makes me feel a little bit better. Um, So you have always, well, not always, you have had lots of out-of-body experiences. Could you tell us when that started and, you know, if there's any extra significance to them? Yeah. um, As far as I can remember, I don't remember having them when I was really young. I had different kinds of experiences, but it wasn't until I was probably, you know, after hitting puberty around 13 and 14, where I started to sort of realize I was having some strange experiences. And um, what those were was sort of the beginning of more like the spontaneous out-of-body experiences. And um, the first one I remember, I was, um, I raised, I was in bed, I was in, I was asleep, I raised up, and the room had this kind of a purplish blue glow to it. And, you know, I just kind of sat there and looked around. It's like, well, this is cool. It's like I really, you know, wasn't so concerned that my room was glowing purple. I just kind of sat there and I was looking at my digital clock. You know, back then, you know, in the 80s, we had digital clocks. And it was just, it just felt normal. It didn't feel odd or anything. So I had wondered if possibly these are things that I had experienced before. Because um, when having these experiences, everything is felt at peace, at home, and normal to me. So it's as if I've had them forever and ever in in the multiple lifetimes. <coughs> so that's how it began. And as the significance... Um, um, you mentioned other experiences. Yeah. <laughs> when I was young, you know, really young, it was so it was quite difficult for me to be able to tell the difference between reality and non-reality. Um, I would have, you know, so many of these dreams and experiences 
that I would have so often at night that it got to the point where I really, really thought that these happened in my wakened reality. Um, for instance, like um, I would visit um, like the Mayan temples and Mayan t and pyramids, and I would dig holes underneath the ground and create tunnels where I would go up into these, you know, um, temples and things. And, you know, there, there were times when I really thought that I did that. And it was one time, and this was something so realistic that I thought this really happened, that my, <clears throat> and that my dad, see, we, I, we, we, I grew up in Texas on the border of Mexico in El Paso. So, you know, that was, close to Mexico. So, you know, it was plausible <laughs> that we could have gone into Mexico and visited some ruins. And I remember my dad taking me and my brother to these. I remember kind of like, you know, like a jungle scene and my dad getting out of the car and walking up the steps and pointing to different things. And it was really, really cool. But you know, later on, when I asked my brother about that, it's like, do you remember when dad took us to this? And he said, no, that never happened. So, you know, there was just many times when um, I just could not tell the difference between what was real and what was not real. <coughs> so as I got older, um, I started having more out-of-body experiences spontaneous things, false awakening. Um, I would, I remember when I was like in my early twenties, I was living in this apartment and I, I got, I was out of body. Of course, at this time, I never really considered it out of body experiences. Um, I thought they were really strange lucid dreams, which of course, the idea between lucid dreams and OBEs, depending on, you know, um, the author and certain things, they're very similar or alike. And I remember walking out of my apartment, uh, walking down the sidewalk and going inside somebody else's apartment just because I wanted to and, and, and standing there looking around. And um, so, of course, I, I just I just thought this was just you know, a, kind of a strange, very realistic dream, you know, as I started to have more of these, I did get into, um, you know, getting a couple of books about lucid dreaming and things, but, you know, um, life happens, you get busy, trying to, um, you know, you get married, you have jobs, and certain things just kind of take priority, and, um, so what had happened, it's, it really wasn't until 2006 that I started to really get on this path of spirituality. And I, you know, it happened because I was, I was living in Tennessee and we had these tornadoes rip through the area. I was teaching at a high school um, in Crothersville, Missouri, which is on the border of Tennessee. And it was on a Sunday and we had those really big, I mean, some of the worst tornadoes ever, and it destroyed the, the, the high school. Um, so we were on a very long, prolonged spring break, 
and I saw I happened to come up onto a movie called What the Bleep Do We Know? And you know, watching that, it completely and totally was just you know, it was like this is what I've been looking for for my whole life, and that sort of started me into. Um, you know, reading more books, looking into all these, you know, um, especially the authors of What the Bleep, which led to watching The Secret, and, you know, which are kind of along the same lines, I started doing meditation, um, and it's, and then this kind of led into uh, listening to podcasts about everything I could learn, and um, I noticed that when I was doing these meditations, I started to have these experiences a lot more. And um, in in OBEs, you typically will have what's called the vibration state. And this is happening while your consciousness is being separated. And of course, you're aware of this because um, your mind is awake, your body is asleep. And it felt like this train was just you know, or this jet engine was taking off in my head. And it's like, what is going on here? And then I remember waking up and I was inches from the ceiling. And I was like looking at my ceiling and I'm, I'm thinking, okay, this is weird. This is very weird. And when I, when I was listening to a particular podcast, it was one about out-of-body experiences with William Buhlman. And um, that particular podcast changed my life. And is what he was saying was it was everything that I had experienced. And it was, it, I was, I'm still to that point at that time, you know, I had, um, you know, I'm, you know, I'm a, bi I'm a biologist and, you know, love science. So it's been sort of difficult for me to give up some of those, <coughs> um, for me to be able to accept a lot of these things. And um, what I liked about William Buhlman was that he made it make sense to me, just like what the bleep also does. And so it's like, okay, well, um, started buying the books, getting on his forum, started to um, actually be able to do the controlled out-of-body experiences. And um, I was having, I was able to, do, you know, have those two or three times a week. And um, it just kind of led into, you know, um, several years of practicing this. And it's, it's been an amazing experience. I've, I've, I've been to other worlds. I've seen, you know, other beings. I've, I've met my spirit guides. I've seen all kinds of strange looking animals and all kinds of things. So it's, it's been amazing. When you said that you were having difficulty because you're a scientist in dealing with the reality of what you were experiencing, there's a cognitive sort of dissonance there. And that had to have been extremely uncomfortable. Do you still get that cognitive dissonance that, or has everything gelled together now? You know, your, your worldview and science have have made yeah. friends in your head. Yeah, um, I think it's gelled really well. I mean, there's certain things that I don't accept, some things that are, are a little bit too woo-woo. Um, but it's like, you know, because of quantum mechanics and because, because of the study of consciousness, because of the study of interdimensionality, 
And there's, you know, there's a lot of great work out there about how our minds and our DNA and our cells are able to um, vibrate at frequencies that enable us to do these things along with the study of DMT. So, you know, there's a lot of really good scientific evidence that supports this. Um, I, I sometimes wish that I could be a little bit more woo-woo, um, as in, you know, like studying about crystals and certain, you know, certain things. Because, I mean, you know, I, I think these things um, really work for, for some people. I, I do believe that it still has a lot to do with, um, like, the law of attraction and how we perceive reality and how we create our reality. But, um, yeah, I, I think it's, I, I think I've, I've, I've found peace in it. And it doesn't conflict as much as it used to. That's really good that, that you found peace with it and mm -hmm. a balance. Because right. I remember reading your parts of the book, and your experiences, and then the research that you were into. And, and I was just like, oh, man, sometimes that has to be a little bit jarring, you know, a little, little bit. All right. Now, you know, do I accept this and that? I, I, you know, that's a lot for mm -hmm. one brain to encompass, mm -hmm. you know, there's been, um, but then again, consciousness probably doesn't live in our brains. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. It's like along the way, there's been these huge paradigm shifts in my life. You know, it's like, I'll have a big one and then I'll have another big one and then, you know, another one. So it's, it's just been, you know, in different stages that's built up into, a greater understanding and it's like I still have so much more I want to understand um, so it's an incredible journey it really is because it's you know I, I think the best part is the journey itself you know um, of learning understanding getting to know other people um, meeting other people of like minds I mean I can't ask for anything better Morgana go ahead because I see you thinking um, I was gonna say I think Having a scientific mindset and having being an experiencer don't have to be diametrically opposed. I think if somebody who is a scientist is also an experiencer, they might be driven even more to find out why mm -hmm. and have the tools already there to do good research and, you know, go that go that extra step further that you know other people can't do necessarily because you know they're not they're not a trained scientist they can't perform research necessarily or vet you know other things that they're reading for is this woo heavy or is this you know a little more closely factual um <clears throat> and i don't i'm not anti woo um, I think that there is something to be said for ritual, yeah. creating the right headspace to get things to happen. Mm -hmm. um, I know that there's good research on psychological states based on ritual movements and sounds and progressions. Um, but I, I always love it when scientists decide to not just dip their toes in the weird, but like just jump in like a cannonball and be like, all right, we're doing this because wonderful things happen. Um, like this book. Mm -hmm. 
which I, I must confess, I am not excellent at quantum. <laughs> I, I am a humanities major. Right. So yep. there were there were parts that that lost me, but I got the basic gist and it was a very interesting basic gist. Yes, I agree. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of great authors out there. There's a lot of great people out there that are doing the research. I mean, by far, I am no physicist or quantum physicist, but there are people out there that are that are doing this. And they're, they're, they're out there, and it's so great to learn about them. When you talked about the rituals and those things, I totally agree. I mean, about the positive mindset and getting into that mindset. And it, it, it definitely is positive and it's definitely necessary for a lot of people to be able to do that. And I totally, that's why I'm saying it's like, sometimes I wish I was just a little bit more like that, um, you know, because it's just, it's very cool, it, it, you know, to, to be that way. Can you give us the names of some uh, authors to look at? Because one of the things that happens in this podcast, just about every time we have one, somebody starts suggesting a book and then a whole bunch of authors and books get mentioned. And that's okay because I go through and listen and then write it down so that our listeners have a list of resources available. So if you have any off the top of your head, please um, let us know. Okay, I'm, I'm trying to think of um, some. Um, I remember I, I would have to probably look some of these up. There is one person I remember that I really liked. Um, I think his name is Greg, Greg Lipton. Um, let's see. Um, he 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 was he was um, he was actually a Harvard biologist, and I loved what he wrote. He did what's called um, the intelligence of cells, and he talked about that cells in themselves have an intelligence. And then he also did. Um, um, a book about spontaneous evolution, which was excellent. Um, one of the first people that I found is an author called Lynn, Lynn McTaggart. And her first book was called The Field. And it is very amazing. It has, um, she's more of a journalist and not a scientist. But what she did is she brought in a whole lot of really good, um, talked about a whole lot of experimentation and um, in this area and, and a lot of examples of the scientists. And then her next book was called um, The Intention Experiment. And um, that was really amazing too, because I, I sort of, you know, as um, I got involved in when they were doing the actual intention experiment, because um, they were having people in um, coming to as groups you meet, you know, online and we were doing meditations and having specific intentions and stuff. And that was really, really good. Um, there now one of my favorite authors when it comes to out-of-body experiences is, is um, William Buellman. And um, I mean, I really like him. He, I, I like him because he, he's sort of in the middle when it comes to, um, you know, because a, um, a lot of the OBE authors, some of them are really, really um, spiritual. And then some of them are more like, you know, some, some might do some scientific aspects to it. 
I like Buhlman because he's kind of in the middle. Um, he'll talk about stuff and he'll say, well, you know, I believe, you know, that the possibility is that, you know, dark matter may be the secret behind uh, what's feeding, you know, the possibilities of the inner dimensions. I mean, you know, he has some, some really cool theories. Um, uh, uh, I can't off the top of my head. Um, there's so many others, but off the top of my head, I can't remember some. How about you guys? Do you know of any authors to suggest? Um, I, I think you sell yourself short because you just gave us like six books off the, or six authors off the yeah. top of your head and it was awesome. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I I was gonna add I was gonna add Dr. Kenneth Ring, um, who's done a lot of near-death experience research, but also a lot of his research touches on other extraordinary experiences. Um, and I was gonna mention Stanislav Graf. Um, who's done a lot of consciousness research and um, has done research on the holo holotropic universe. Um, and he was fairly early with that too. He was, he was starting all of that back in the late sixties, early seventies. So he was kind of a pioneer. I just have Paul Aino <laughs> because again, I do not quantum. <laughs> Another, I should quantum. I'm working on quantuming now. Another one that um, a lot of people find interesting, um, and it's a very scientific book. I had to look it up right, really quick. Is Thomas Campbell. I don't know if you've heard of him. He, he wrote a book called My Big Toe, which is theory of everything. Yep. And yeah, and he's really good. He He's a quantum physicist and he, he did a lot of work at the Monroe Institute, specifically with Robert Monroe himself. So they, they did that for about a decade together. So he's really, really good at that stuff, too. Could you talk a little bit about Robert Monroe for the listeners? Yes. Um, Since you mentioned him. Right, right. I know um, what you mean, but. Yes. I don't. Um, <laughs> Okay. Um, when you start to get interested in, in out-of-body experiences, and if you start doing any type of research, um, the person who pretty much brought out the word out-of-body experience was Robert Monroe. He was um, one of the first authors, um, probably in the 70s and 80s. Um, he wrote several books, and it's very interesting because he was, at, he was a very successful businessman. Kind of probably like you know um, a big you know in a big corporation, and so he was already rich and successful, and you know he had been having these experiences, and you know I remember him talking about how he was very reluctant sort of about his first book, but his first first book um, was was so famous and it was quite accepted. Um, he he wrote several books and then he started the Monroe Institute. And the Monroe Institute was created for the research into consciousness. And he created quite a few of these amazing techniques, um, binaural types of um, training methods. He developed a lot of training methods for this stuff. And it's, it's a really big deal. And it started 
back then and it's still going strong. So the Monroe Institute is definitely um, really still into the consciousness um, research and it has a lot of training and classes and um, never been there. I, I would love to go because William Buhlman uh, spends a lot of time there on his workshops. So yes, so Robert Monroe, definitely a person, um, definitely an author um, to read if anybody's interested in out-of-body experiences. Excellent. I just read that um, the famous Harvard psychiatrist John Mack studied um, some of the techniques mm -hmm. there. And that's why it was on the top of my head sitting up there perched because I just read Mack's biography, The Believer, which is mm -hmm. an extremely fascinating book. He was a very interesting man. Um, but he he studied with Monroe. He studied with Groff. Um, I can't remember. There were so many people that, you know, he ran into, ran across, studied with, <coughs> talked to, talked with, that it's, it's hard to list all of them off the top of my head. Um, so you've learned how to control out-of-body travel or out-of-body experience. Can you talk a little bit about how that works? Yes. Um, I would say that there's not really anybody who completely can control something like that, as in, I'm going to lay down and I'm going to have an out-of-body experience. You know, um, even Monroe had to, you know, use specific types of techniques. Even using these techniques, it's not going to guarantee that you will have anything. It just um, creates a situation where you're more likely to have these. Um, first of all, um, I think the reason why it was easier for me to have this is because I have really strange sleeping habits. Um, it's like uh, I have kind of like this binaural type of uh, sleep where, you know, I may sleep two or three hours and then wake up and be wide awake. Um, you know, that's something I've learned later that, you know, a lot of people are like that because sort of it's part of our evolution where, you know, a lot of times people would wake up and they would get up and they may do certain things, like in a cabin or in a cave, <clears throat> and then go back to bed, go back to sleep. So sort of a natural thing. And when you do go back to sleep, um, it's, it's sort of like you're kind of in a easier um, frame of mind or consciousness to where you will slip e easier into a hypnagogic state. And that will um, increase your likelihood of having an OBE. So <clears throat> one of the techniques I would often use is that, you know, I would just, you know, go to bed and then wake up about two or three o'clock in the morning, you know, I would get up, I may read some stuff about out-of-body experiences. I would try to get into a positive mindset using the law of attraction because, you know, that's one thing too is, you know, that's the biggest hurdle right there is to have that positive mindset. And then I would go back to bed and what I would do is um, do some type of meditation 
I would um, usually use binaural beats, some form of um, binaural beats, and um, either they might have been guided meditations or just music, and that would help, you know, get my mind off of other things because you're, you know, you have to have, um, you, you can't be thinking about a million things, you know, when you're trying to do this. So, and then, you know, it would, it would just uh, happen, you know, you would be in this hypnagogic state and then the uh, vibrations will occur and then have those. Um, so I didn't successfully, my cat is about to get in the way. I, 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 I would not su su successfully have these <laughs> each time that, um, I don't know, each time that I would, you know, try this, but I would increase the likelihood of, um, of having an OBE by doing these certain types of techniques. And um, so there's uh, books, you know, William Buhlman, um, other people, um, you know, have, you know, written about these types of techniques. Another thing that would also work really well with me is like I would go to bed and I would just wake up extra early. And this worked even better for me. I would work, you know, wake up extra early, stay up for a while, and maybe have like a late morning or early afternoon nap where I would go through the same routine. <coughs> um, a lot of times this can just naturally happen without me even trying. It just does. I think that certain types of cues within the environment, it could be the light, it could be certain things that kind of keep you in more of that state, the hypnagogic state, where you're kind of more into a deeper type of meditative state instead of completely falling asleep and, and anything that can prolong that state can um can can increase the likelihood of you being able to have an out-of-body experience could you explain a hypnagogic state and biurnal beats for the listeners mm -hmm. well you have different levels of sleep and I can't probably recall all of these, you know, right off the top of my head. You know, you have, you know, Delta, Beta, um, you have Theta. And, and um, so I, I can't really recall each one. You have, you know, certain levels where you have deep sleep. And that's a little bit deeper to where most likely you're going to go into, you know, rapid eye movement and dreams and things. The Theta state is sort of that state where you're in, where you're kind of both sleep and awake at the same time. You know, it's, it's kind of like when you're, when you're going into the theta brain state, it may happen a lot at night when you're falling asleep because you're, you know, you might start, you know, having these weird like little visions. You might start hearing little voices. You might start seeing images and certain things. And, and that's usually what happens, you know, that that's happening during theta. And theta is the hypnagogic state. So it's sort of this um, state between wake and asleep. What was the other question? Biurnal beats. Oh, oh, okay. Yes. Um, it, it's, it, it's highly recommended um, to use something like binaural beats because there is a higher likelihood that by using these, and it could be during, you know, you can have um, you can have music recordings with binaural beats, you know, or you can have 
like guided meditations that also have them. And it just kind of puts your mind, it puts you into a more relaxed state where you can slip into that hypnagogic state. So it, it helps with that. And my first real, what I call um, controlled out-of-body experience was when, you know, I was listening to just the music and and the, and binaural, what that means, of course, is that it's kind of like a different frequency in each part of the music. And if you're wearing headphones, which is highly recommended, it's like you, you're having a different frequency in each one of your ears. And when they're put together, <coughs> it creates that state. They're really nice. Is... I know EMDR uses something very similar. They're mm -hmm. starting to do that for types of therapy. Mm -hmm. um, my therapist wants me to do it. And she was like, sometimes people have to like accept that this is a thing. And I'm like, no, let me stop you right there. I have a paranormal podcast. I completely and totally believe <clears throat> that a set rhythm can create an altered brain state. We're good. Cool. <laughs> I totally am on board with this. And she was like, oh, okay, good. She's a very nice lady. Well, that is good. Um, so I I liked a lot of things about this book. Um, some of the things I liked were that parts of it rang very true to my life. Um, like the parts about being a highly sensitive person. Um, and I was wondering if there's other aspects of being a sensitive person beyond the experiential parts, like the paranormal-ish parts that exist in your life that can be good or challenging or just they're just there and you just cope and if that's common. Well. If you want to talk about it, you don't have to talk about it if you don't want to. No, no, it's just that um I think it's a, always a constant struggle with me to try to be a normal person where I can actually, you know, um, work and sustain a living because, you know, you have to do that to survive. Um, I, I find it to be quite difficult at times um, to be around a lot of negativity. And, you know, I'm a teacher and... Um, it's sort of different when, you know, when it comes to the students, the students, you know, I um, like right now I'm teaching seventh through 12th graders and, you know, they're going to naturally be um, bipolar, but um, 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 I'm trying to think of that word. Um, they're going to naturally be in a state where they're always up and down and, and be, um, um, I'm trying to think of the word. I'm so sorry. Uh, bipolar, bipolar, bipolar. Yes. I, that's sort of, I'm not trying to say, I'm not trying to of say. Of course I, Morgana I, throws that one right out. I got you. <laughs> I'm, I'm not trying to say no, I'm, you're di fine. I'm diagnosing. I know what you mean. Um, it's just that they're naturally sort of no, but, but teenagers. Yeah, yeah. Yep. It's part of their growth. It's part of who they are. 
they're trying to find themselves, they're trying to understand themselves and each other. That's forgiving to me. You know, that that's, you know, I mean, I, I it's it's quite intense and can be overwhelming. But, you know, that's who they are. And, you know, that's, that's fine. Um, dealing with other people and adults. Um, I find that quite difficult. And, you know, you, um, you know, when you're when you're on this path of spirituality, um, you know, where you're sort of in this, you know, the state of accepting, forgiving, um, non-judgment, um, in a state of, um, you know, love and peace. And then, you know, you are sometimes having the conflicts of having to deal with others who aren't so. It, it, that to me can be the hardest because, you know, I, I'm having to work with, you know, people that, um, you know, they don't, you know, it's like they, they sort of like want to cause problems and want to cause drama and certain things that, I just, you know, it's, it's sort of just around me and it's, it's very hard to, um, to sustain, you know, um, a, a state of mind where I can, or energy, it's, it, it's almost like there are times and I feel like everything, my life forces is sucked out of me. So it's, it's hard at times. It really is. Um. Uh, I don't know. I mean, it, it's just, you know, I'm just, I'm not saying that I'm overly sensitive to the point where I can't, you know, you know, be able to function, but sometimes I feel like I'm close to that. I I understand. Um, life can be tiring, but other people can be draining uh-huh. Or I, when somebody that I, I know is very, very upset, it almost causes a physical pain. Mm-hmm. And that, if, especially if I can't do anything about it, it's just like, there's this pain in my chest and I'm like, oh, and it, it's very distressing. Um, so I can, I can definitely understand how life and people can just, they can be a lot. It can be a lot. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, and I've never known a teacher who never, who didn't say, I love the kids, it's the parents or the administration or the other teachers that are tiring. You know, the kids to most teachers are never the problem. It's, it's everything else surrounding them. Right. (laughs) It is. Yeah, it is. Because it's like, I love the kids. You know, I love the students. Um, to me, they can, they can, they really can't do anything wrong. And, you know, and <clears throat> they are a product of their upbringing too. And, you know, that's forgiving to me because they don't know better. Um, they don't know any better. I mean, you know, because, you know, I'm, you know, we're, we're sort of, you know, people who are more liberal and progressive, you know, that's and it's it's you can for you know when you when you 
you can understand why they are the way they are. Um, you know, but adults yeah. acting, acting badly, you know, that's their choice. And it's harder to, it's, it's, it, it, it is, it's, it's harder to be around. I think one of my, one of the things I really appreciated about the book was in the end, there's, there's the list of support groups for people who are experiencers. And I thought that was just wonderful yeah. because it can be strange and difficult to be the weird ones. <laughs> right. Right. Um, you know, you, you, you can't always, you know, walk into work and be like, oh yeah, I didn't get a lot of sleep because, well, I was busy zipping around the astral plane and I didn't get quite enough rest. <laughs> like, or I've, I've been having those UFO nightmares. You know, it's, you can't just explain this to people. <laughs> I mean, right. you can once you find your people, but having, having resources in there. So not only have you read this book and you've learned a bunch of stuff, but you've, you've now got ways to, if you were an experiencer to reach out to others and be able to find people who will understand you. I think that is just beautiful and wonderful. Definitely. It is the most important thing because it's like, you know, when I was having these strange experiences and when I was having these, um, especially the vibrational state, I thought that possibly I was having a brain aneurysm. <laughs> I mean, it was just, it was weird. And, mm -hmm. you know, um, then I, you know, listening to the podcast, the first thing I did was I found William Buellman's for, uh, forum um, in, in the Yahoo groups and, I mean, it took off. It, it's just um, there was people there that helped me understand what I was going through. And it was that's that, that is so life changing. And it is so important that you reach out to somebody because um, these experiences um, can be very terrifying at times, too. Because when you talked about, for instance, having a UFO encounter or encounter with what you believe to be an extraterrestrial you know, there, there, it can be very, very terrifying, fearful, and a lot of times people don't know what to do. And um, so, reaching out is definitely, definitely the best thing to do is just to find somebody to talk to. And you know, that's how it all started for me. This is why I'm at where I'm at right now, writing, you know, co-authoring the book is because of reach of reaching out to people of like mind and talking with them, and then you know, becoming friends because these people understand you. They know where you're coming from. And um, I've been on both sides of that really good because I've helped other people um, um, get over their fears, especially, you know, when, um, you know, a lot of times, you know, there's a lot of things that, you know, either whether it is, the extraterrestrial UFO contact or whether it is just a regular OBE, you know, there's just a lot of misconceptions and, and things that people are afraid of, you know, the, the, the getting over the fear is the biggest thing, you know, cause there, there is, it's, you know, I remember feeling it when I first started saying, okay, I'm going to have an audit about experience. And I remember feeling like I was scared and, 
Um, I was also, I also knew that this was probably going to be the time and place where the extraterrestrial were going to start playing a big role in my life. And they did. And it was, you know, it was a big, scary step at first. But having other people share their experiences, you know, that changed everything. So reach out, you know, Facebook groups, anything. The vibration... The vibration that you talk about, can you describe that a little bit? Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure I know what you you mean, but kind of describe how it feels. So if other people feel it, they go, oh, yeah, I'm not having a seizure or <laughs> right, whatever. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it's, 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 it's not only felt, but it's a sound, too. So it's, it's sort of like you're, um, you've heard of sleep paralysis. It, it usually happens during sleep paralysis. Mm, oh, yes. So, we, yeah, we've so. had it. Mm-hmm. Well, um, so that the vibration state and sleep paralysis usually go hand in hand because a lot of times when you're having um, this, this sound, it could be uh, very, very loud. Um, it would sound like a whoosh, like a big whooshing sound, um, like a jet engine. And that's usually when it's pretty intense and um, it could be very subtle. So it seems like as I started to have these more often, the vibration started to get more subtle, but it's, it's like, it's not only felt because you can definitely, well, it's not only a sound because you can definitely hear it, but it's also felt, you know, in your head. So usually what, what the vibration state is, is a prelude to the outer body experience. And while the, while, while the vibration state occurs, you could be also experiencing sleep paralysis because um, your, your consciousness has not separated yet and you're trying to wake up and you're paralyzed. You can't move and you're hearing all these strange noises because you can also hear pops and cracks and booms and all kinds of things. It's, it's really amazing because it's almost as if there's some really cool things that are happening as the consciousness separates from the body and it will subside. It does not have, you know, it it may subside in maybe 20 or 30 seconds and you just kind of let there, you just lay there and just let it happen. And, you know, at first it was sort of terrifying. And then all of a sudden it's like, as you get used to it, it's like, yes, you know, here comes the vibration state and, you know, it's a very exciting experience because you know that you're about to have an out-of-body experience and you just kind of relax and relaxing is the best thing. Relax, let it stop, and then you're good to go. You know, that's the point where, you know, you um, your body will raise out of your, your body, you know, you will raise out of your body. But it's, um, it happens to about between 70 to 80 percent of people who have OBEs. It doesn't happen to all of them. And then sometimes too, that if you are having quite a few, your vibrations may be very, very subtle. It's like to me now, it's just a really slight, just, just kind of a, you know, like a wave. 
but it's subtle enough that I can feel it because I like I like it because it's sort of a cue for me where, where, where some people, it may be so subtle that they don't even know that it's happening. I was wondering if you could describe where you go when you go out of body. I know this is variable from person to person. Um, and I know that the experiences vary widely. Can you tell us about yours? Yeah. Or one or two? You don't have to tell us all yeah. of them, my God. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the beginning of them is, is quite amazing. When, when I was having the spontaneous ones, it seems like I would just whoop, fly right out of my body and I would just go. And a lot of the beginning ones, too, when I was doing the controlled experiences, I would be sometimes I would just shoot right out of my body, go out the ceiling and into the sky. Um, as I was starting to try to gain more control, because that's the purpose of having controlled experiences, is that I would kind of feel into the vibration and I would be very aware. I would let them sub subside. And then either I would just slowly just raise out of my body and stand up. Now, at times, if sleep paralysis is still there a little bit, you may find yourself a little stuck. But see, it's all about the mind. So a lot of times I may just say, the front of the bed now, to the front of the bed. And I will be, I will go immediately from my body to standing in front of my bed. And um, a lot of them now that I have, as I started to be more aware and try to control them is that I would always start in my bedroom. Um, a lot of the early ones, it would be almost just like I would just rock it and shoot right out. And that happens to a lot of people. Um, as I'm trying to be more aware, and I also like to just kind of be more observable of what's going on, you know, I'll get up, I'll walk through the room. I don't really always you know, look to see my body, you know, sleeping there. I have a couple of times. Um, but most of the time, another thing too, to be aware is that if you're in close proximity to your physical body, you're going to be drawn back into it easier. It's, it's, just, it's just really strange. It's like the closer you are, the more it seems to have a magnetic effect on you. And you, and you could feel it. I mean, sometimes you may not be completely, a lot of times I'll have sort of like a partial blindness. And if I think about my physical body too much, I'll just, <clears throat> I'll just pop right back into it and the experience ends. So usually what I do is I just start walking, you know, out the bedroom and I, I like to observe my surrounding, like the house, because you could start seeing as you get further away from your body, you could start seeing changes in, in the, um, what I call the ethereal plane, you know, going into the astral plane. And it's like the house looks different. And I don't know if you're possibly seeing the, you know, future, the past, because it's sort of all one thing. And what I do is I will always try to exit at a door or a window because doors and windows are, are, um, you know, they're, they're, 
you know, their exits to a different dimension. So the moment that I step out of a door or go through a window, I'm in a different place altogether. I'm usually not even outside my house. I'm usually in some other astral plane. <clears throat> other times, if I want to go to a specific place, I'll just say, I want to go to the moon, or I want to go here, or I want to um, be my higher self. I want to see my guides. I want to, you know, fly in the sky. You know, there's, it's like the movement is at the speed of thought. So you can, you know, you, you have that much control of this experience by saying so, by believing it, by intent, by intention. So um, if not, it could just be, just let it go. I mean, because um, it will just play out in just ways of whatever you need it to be, um, you know, and that's, that's a lot of fun. And, and that, that could be quite um, spontaneous and beautiful by just kind of letting it play out. And that happens many times too. You mentioned time. Um, I know that it's mentioned in the book that time isn't linear. We just think it is. <laughs> we, we, we believe it to move in a linear fashion because it's easier for us to conceive of it as past, present, future. When in truth, it's probably all of those at the same time. How does that come into play with out-of-body experience yeah that's you know uh when i was i was researching that really intensely because i had um come up into you know a website of a person who was using quantum mechanics to describe the different planes <coughs> and when you think about that's my cat making a noise and that was my modem that just fell um, you know, in, in our reality, um, as we perceive reality, it's sort of like a superposition of um, possibilities. And as we perceive it, it collapses into our reality, sort of like the electrons buzzing around and we observe it and then it goes into particles. Um, that's our physical reality. Um, of course, according to Einstein, you know, linear time, linear time doesn't exist. But from, you know, I found this very interesting because that doesn't really happen when you're in the astral plane. It's almost as if that superposition is always in its superposition. So you have all these possibilities all at once. And because of that, as you're walking, through the astral plane or the inner dimensions, you can be entering into um, different times at the same simultaneously. So that's why it's kind of really neat because as you're walking, like if I'm walking my house, I may be perceiving the house at different moments in time, and it just all feels mm -hmm. it just all feels natural. It, it doesn't feel strange at all. It just feels natural. <clears throat> so that is why there is definitely possibilities of us being able to enter into 
the past, you know, and the future, and sometimes both at the same time. And, um, you know, we can put a certain amount of control on that also. And, and sometimes the universe might just sit, you know, it's like one time I asked to see my dad, you know, he passed away in the early nineties and I went boom straight like to my dad, except he was a little boy in overalls, about a two or three year old. And so it's kind of like, you know, the universe is like Google, you know, you just, you Google something and you have all these infinite possibilities. And, you know, so you have to kind of be a little bit more specific in, in your intentions because it could be so, it, you could end up, you know, in so many different places. It's incredible. That reminds that reminds me of, you know, the old myths about the fae and or the djinn, where you have to be extremely specific in how you word things <laughs> because otherwise they'll catch you out and, you know, something that you didn't want will happen. And it, because these are like tales that you told children, you know, it's usually something horrible that happens <laughs> because why not? Yeah. Um, but now, now I have the image and the thought of the universe as a cosmic search engine, and that makes a lot of sense for some reason. So I'm yeah. just going to go with that. Yeah. I really like the idea of out-of-body experience as a, as a means to travel through time with consciousness. We may not be able to take our bodies with us yet, mm -hmm. but through dreams and through out-of-body work, mm -hmm. we may be able to move through time in a way that is not strictly linear. Right. And I find that to be utterly fascinating. Definitely, definitely. Because, you know, I, you know, I think about, well, you know, that, that's time travel. You know, it's possible. You know, our consciousness is able to do that. It, it, it's really, really fascinating. And like you said, you know, what is a body really, uh, you know, um, it, you know, it's like there are no limitations to what consciousness can achieve. You know, I could travel across the universe. I could see, you know, the big black hole in the center, you know, in the middle of our galaxy. You know, it's, it's, it's quite amazing that there is no limitation. And it's, it's also similar to um, the experiences of remote viewers mm -hmm. who are able to view not just things on Earth, but um, Ingo Swan was said to have viewed the dark side of the moon. And, um, you know, I, I wouldn't put it past him to travel backwards and forwards in time and his remote viewing either. Right. And I think that that... that remote viewing, out-of-body experience, um, probably shamanic work um, in the Michael Harner method. They're all probably so tightly linked together. And then you have dreams in there too, that it, it's like, I don't want to say it's choose your own adventure, but it's like when you have your colored pencils lined up by color, 
in spectral order. It's like you have reds, they're all different reds, but they're still red. I feel like these are these are techniques that are all next to each other in in energy or in in color palette if you want to look at it visually. So, you know, it's different shades of blue or different shades of purple and they they point you in the same direction, but the way you get there is different. Yeah, I mean, that's sort of what the um, the title of the book implies, you know, convergence. You know, it's it's like you have all these types of, of experiences. And, the, you know, we mainly talk about um, UFO contact, out-of-body experiences, near-death experiences, and past, past lives. Well, you know, there's so many others. There's so many other types of experiences. You know, telepathy. You, you talked about remote viewing. People seeing entities and ghosts. It is. It's. It's like um, that's sort of what the whole concept of what we're talking about um, is. That you know, they all share the fact that consciousness does not exist in our brain. It is non-local, and that is what they all of this has in common. And that's what all of it shares. I feel like, and this is where I am an extreme layperson. I feel like it also has something to do with multiverse theory mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. or parallel worlds or definitely because from what I grasp, which again, extreme layperson. I had issues with algebra. <laughs> um, there's a high likelihood that with non-local consciousness allowing us to perceive things differently, either non-linear time so we can see past, present, and future all at once, or allowing us to see perhaps through to other possibilities. Like, you know, if if there's all the billions of possibilities and then our reality is when all of them resolve at once, could the other possibilities be the multiverse or an aspect of the multiverse? And if we've got non-local consciousness, can we access sort of sideways through time, get to those possibilities and then take a left turn at Albuquerque to get to another I don't know what how to say it, but take a left turn at Albuquerque and get to another universe entirely. I I totally but yeah. That's that's okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I it I does totally, make sense a little bit. Uh, it it does because it's like um I you know, it, besides just out of body experiences where I could probably be experiencing these alternate realities. I sometimes feel like a lot of times when I'm dreaming or when I'm having lucid dreaming or, you know, just strange imaging that I am experiencing other realities, other me's. And, and, and the thing about it is they repeat themselves so much to the point where I will be waking up and I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm someone else or I'm somewhere else. I'm in a different alternative reality. And it takes me a while to, to, you know, to realize where I'm at. It takes a few minutes to understand. It's like, okay, you know, 
this is what's happening. You know, um, I, I, I would have a lot of dreams and experiences with my mom before and after her death. And it's like I, I, I would, you know, I would experience her realities and her life and things. And, but it, it just, it happens with other, it's, it's almost as if there was something, a different route that I might have, or different choices that I made. And I'm experiencing those in my dreams. And it is just, it's just it's so weird. And, and it's, so that's why when I wake up, I have to, it takes a couple of minutes, you know, to get grounded into, into this. So, yeah, I, I definitely, mm-hmm. right. you know, I, I definitely think that that's, you know, definitely true. <laughs> I wonder if that's where clairvoyance sort of comes from, too, is something is just an extremely high likelihood or commonality across so many different alternate realities mm-hmm. that that's, it's just the law of, like probability that it's probably going to happen in this one too, since it's happened in like 99 out of a hundred of the other ones. And you just happen to see that. And then it turns out to be true. Yeah. I think that's how tarot cards work. (laughs) Yeah. I think that when they, when you are able to use them and predict the future, that's, it's something that is so likely to happen that it, it comes up in the random dealing of cards. Um, I think that's how it works that you have all of these multiple possibilities and probabilities that then come together in a, into a point. It, it's like Dr. Who talks about fixed points in time, that there are certain things that are going to happen no matter what. And you can't do anything to change them. And if you do something to change them, terrible, terrible things happen, as we all know, if we've watched Doctor Who. Um, <laughs> you know, then then the 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 weeping angels show up and, and it's terrible. And <laughs> um, but I do think that that's a, a valid way to look at how clairvoyance works. Yeah, definitely. Um, I know the few times that I've had that happen where I've dreamed something only once have I had a remote viewing experience work and it was so random. And so somebody asked me a question um, and I wasn't prepared for it. And I was like, you know, that's not how my brain works, but you're looking for someone. Well, okay. And I told her what I saw. And it turned out two years later that that's where that person was found. And it, again, it was so random. But when that came to be, what I had seen matched with the video that was on the news clip. And so I was like, somehow I must have seen the news clip before it happened but it was weird and I wasn't prepared Uh for it and somehow it just popped out of my mouth and that's how it worked 
you know, usually it's a dream that I have and I dream the future and it's usually something really weird. Like I find a dog that looks like a wolf by the side of the road and the next day I find a, a husky racing down the highway and rescue it from being hit by a truck. So, you know. You you get cool, useful ones. I just dream snapshots <laughs> that I then encounter Anywhere from a week to several months later. And it's just, it's an always very jarring moment because every time it happens, I go, did I dream this? Have I seen this before? Is this a deja vu? Is something going to happen? Or am I just, did I just dream about pickles for no reason? (laughs) You dreamed about pickles. And I just dream about pickles for no reason, like all the time. (laughs) And it's the most useless form of clairvoyance. (laughs) I just dream about pickles. Or whatever snapshot. Yeah. 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 But, you know, isn't that an amazing, plausible explanation of why this happens? You know, being able to see into alternate reality. I'm I'm very happy about it. (laughs) You know, it's it's, it's an answer. You know, it's like... That's... (laughs) I like that answer. (laughs) That that is a plausible answer, and it is better than I just do this for no good reason. <laughs> you know, it. I, well, I feel, if the if the universe is multidimensional, why not? Right. And it can be very spontaneous. I agree. It's it's like you know sometimes it just happens when you unex you know don't expect it to happen, and it just does. What kind of information? Have you brought back information from your out-of-body experiences that, I don't know, gave you a a new idea or made you think of someone or something differently or, you know, something that gave you an idea for a design for something. I, I'm an artist, so I'm going to think of it right. that way, you know. Did you see something so cool that you had to paint it? I I see a lot of symbols, lots and lots of symbols, um, mathematical equations, alien-like symbols. It's just they pop up everywhere. Um, I, you know, I see them. It's like I could be having an experience and I'll look up in the sky and they're moving around in the sky and there's just different, you know, I've, I've gone to different, like, let's say, gates where I'm entering into it and it'd be covered in symbols. There'll be symbols burned into my sight. Um, <laughs> um, and I think it's sort of this trying to make sense and trying to understand what it means. Does it come out into like art? You had mentioned that. Um, I, I think that's a great way and an amazing way of expressing it because you know, you're an artist and you, you know and understand how that when you're in that zone, that beautiful creative zone, that you become more in touch and more in tune to it, you know, because, um, you know, that's a great way of expressing that. It really is. Um, I, you know, it, it's almost as if that, you know, I, I see all these mathematical equations and all this stuff. It's like, I, I, I can't bring that stuff back very well. It's like, you know, I can't remember the specifics. I do know that my guides, one thing that they've tried to stress with me in 
one thing in common that a lot of experiencers have is something called, you know, night school. And a lot of them experience things where we're being taught things. And it really happens a lot. Like we're at some type of a university or something and you know that that comes up quite a bit and it it, it is it's, it's almost like um someone's teaching me things i know that the one thing that um my guide has tried to teach me was being able to create portals to other dimensions and to create vortexes and wormholes and to be able to enter into that and go into a different dimension. And those things have popped up a lot. And <clears throat> it's something that I actually can create when I'm in an out-of-body state to create a vortex. And as I go through it, I'm in a different dimension. And it seems like that's something that's very important that we actually can create these with our minds and be able to travel different places um it i know it has a lot to do with vibrational frequency and and all kinds of things there's things that i've often thought about where can you take something from an inner dimension or through an experience and bring it back to a physical or physical dimension and i do believe that's <coughs> possible i really do um you know, have I done that? I haven't actually achieved it. But, you know, when you have read certain books about certain Buddhist um, priests and certain people that have been able to materialize things from thin air, you know, you've heard of, um, you know, the, you know, the alchemist and, and what they have achieved. And I think, you know, this is the answer to all of those is, you know, it's, it has to do with, the mind and consciousness and vibrations. So I think that those are things that um, my education on the other side is, is, is about. Yeah, I liked what you wrote or um, what you and Barbara wrote about vortices and um, mm -hmm. wormholes and portals in the book um you know i <laughs> i like the idea because i used to be a psychonaut um i used to do um some journey work with um psycho psychotropic substances um and <laughs> i got it in my head you know That's well, I've read John Keel all these years, and he always talks about the ultra dimension or ultra terrestrials that they come from another dimension. And so, you know, Mothman is floating around in another dimension and he pops into ours and flies around and scares people. And so I thought it'd be a great idea if we could pop into somebody else's dimension and give them a thought to think about. Um, and I was like, what would it be like to pop in on Mothman? Wouldn't he like, you know, what would he think of that? You know, coming in here, scaring people. <laughs> what are you doing? Um, I never enacted that one, though. I was like, you know, do you really want to go talk to Mothman? You don't really want to go talk to him. You Just do something more 
normal. Go talk with the fairies <laughs> or something. That's more normal. <laughs> well, you know, when not yeah, I, I when you know, of course, you know, we know Brent, and he, of course, introduced me to John Keel mm-hmm. and things, and you know, um, I've read or I listened to several of his books because I have them on Audible. And there's one thing that, you know, Brent mentioned to me, and it just, it has always stuck with me because he said something that Keel said that a lot of these experiences that were happening during that time, he said that they were out-of-body experiences or astral projections of other entities coming into our reality. And it's like, yeah, oh my gosh, you know, this is, this that's it. I mean, it's, 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 it's like what we're in, what we live in is just another dimension, just like everything else. And the reason why it really struck me really hard is because, you know, when I've done, when I've had out-of-body experiences, I will go into, let's say, a town or I'll go inside a building and I would see people and I would try to talk to them and they would be running away from me scared. You know, and it's like, what are they, what are they seeing? Mm. You know, you know, it's like, are they seeing some (laughs) some strange ball of light or, or, I mean, what are they seeing? You know, and and it's like, I, I'd be trying to communicate with them and it's like, no, look, because I'm, I'm flying. Okay. I'm flying above their head. That's probably what's scaring them. And, you know, it's, it's, (laughs) (laughs) so it's like, you know, we're visiting possibilities of other you know, other civilizations as we're doing this, it's as real as this one. And that could be what Mothman is, you know. So, you know, if you're having out-of-body experiences, <laughs> you can go see Mothman. <laughs> I mean, it's it's plausible. It's, it, 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 you know, there, it can happen. You know, who knows? You know, um, and, and, and the thing about it is, you know, what are you seeing, too? Because, you know, sometimes it's, you know, what people can view and what people can see has a lot to do with their limited understanding also. Um, we experience this as we travel and we have these experiences. I mean, is this, you know, what what we can understand is only our ability to be able to perceive within our own understanding. We may not be seeing the entire thing, you know, it's because we're, we're limited in the understanding, considering, you know, we're human beings with, you know, so, you know, who knows? I, I just always thought that was neat, you know, when Brent brought that up, that, you know, these UFOs or these balls of light, you know, it could be entities or other you know, um, beings, you know, traveling astrally to ours, you know, it's really neat. (laughs) It strikes me as a much safer and, you know, energy and cost efficient way of traveling from dimension to dimension. I mean, everybody, sci-fi likes to think, oh, we need some huge ship or like a stargate or something. And I'm like, well, what if we're just really good at using our consciousness and then that's, that's easier and less risky. I mean, unless 
we end up in HP Lovecraft territory. (laughs) And that's then, then no, (laughs) then nothing is safe. Yeah. Hopefully, (laughs) hopefully there isn't an HP Lovecraft style dimension somewhere out there. (laughs) I had, I had a friend long, long ago who told me that if someone wrote something and a lot of people read it and believed it, then it might as well be real. And it may, in fact, create a dimension or a pocket universe where that was real. So I, I, considering the number of people who are really into H.P. Lovecraft, I would not count that out as being a possibility. Right. Yeah. Yep. Just saying. Yeah. I'm glad you're going to sleep well tonight. So yeah, thanks mom. Yeah. You're welcome. <laughs> I'm there for you. Yeah. <laughs> you are. Aren't those called, um, topas or toquas or there's something that it's a word for it where people Topa. create, yeah. Where people create these, you know, entities and monsters and they actually develop a consciousness as they're fed more and more, you know, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yes. Thought forms. Yes. Um, tul- thought forms, tulpas. Tulpa. I think tulpa is more specific to the to the Tibetan Buddhist method of creating them, and it it's a there's a spiritual aspect to that as well as just creating a thought form. Um, a thought form, on the other hand, can be created accidentally. Um, that's uh i mean that's a whole conversation but uh (laughs) you know i do think it is possible for a writer or an actor or you know someone who has a very powerful consciousness a very powerful mind and if they can create something and it's real to them in some sense that it can become real to other people and other people will experience it as real. And it would be so cool if books really are like a portal into another reality because each time somebody reads a book, it just reinforces and feeds that reality. And if we can somehow figure out how to go there someday beyond just reading, that would be so cool. Yep. Just avoid the HP Lovecraft dimension. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's not a fun place. I feel like we should police tape and just somehow psychically lasso that dimension <laughs> with the police tape. Do not cross danger. Or you can only go like with a dress. Like, like you go on safari. Like you would have to go yeah. with like astral projection safari guides for a limited amount of time in that universe. Yeah. And there would be rules. Yeah. Like that one Ray Bradbury story about going back in time. <laughs> yes. Well, you know, Ray Bradbury would be one of the ones that I, I would kind of like his stories to oh. to be in a dimension somewhere. Right. Yeah. Real. I loved his Martian stories. I love the Martian Chronicles. Um, yeah. But, you know, he had. Yeah. He had a lot of great stories mm-hmm. anyway. Um. One of his, one of my favorite of his books is the October Country, which is all short stories, and they're amazing. Um, 
Theodore Sturgeon's short stories I'd like to be mm. real too. And he deals with a lot of this kind of stuff, this sort of what's real, what isn't, what dimension are we in, the creation of thought forms. Um, so Ted Sturgeon is a, another good person to look at for these kinds of things. I, I'm, you know, I look at fiction often as a means to understand what we might be able to do what is possible um and i i really think that you know greg bishop says if all you read about is ufos you're not going to understand anything about them and you should you know read everything everything should be off topic and you should just read all the stuff and i think that's that's valid um but my particular twist on that is you should read science fiction and fantasy and you know all kinds of literature because you're going to learn more about the world and about consciousness and about humanity and the possibilities of how life works for other other possible beings so that's my hey. little preach preach to the choir there my, my first read love. good fiction damn it oh my, my first love was sci-fi and fantasy you know that from the get-go i just that's all i care about you know i'm i have over 400 audiobooks and it's sci-fi and fantasy i i love that stuff i really do and you know it's been with me my whole life yeah same yep good old isaac asimov yeah yep mm-hmm Philip K. Dick, another one who had weird experiences and wrote about it. So. Oh, yeah. Well, Morgana, do you have anything else to... How about you, Lynn? Anything else you'd like to say? You want to talk about where people can find your book? <coughs> Especially since it has all of those references in the back for um, support groups. Right. And um, it's just a really, really, really good and interesting book. Thank you. Thank you. Um, well, you know, it's called Convergence, the Interconnection of Extraordinary Experiences. And it's on Amazon in both, you know, ebook form, you know, and, and you know, um, book form. It's also, you know, um, on Books a Million and other places. Um, another thing too is like you know we do we have those references in the book, but then another thing too is we have um, you know a blog and a website, and you know you've you've talked to Barbara and she is a an amazing prolific writer. I mean she's she can make anything sound wonderful, and she she puts out um, a couple of blogs a week. I mean I at, at first we were trying to like say, can you do it this week? And then you do it this week. And it's like, um, I cannot, I cannot even come close to how she can just put some stuff out. And it's, so it's like, there's so much information on our blog too, um, that pretty much goes along with a lot of things that we Excellent. write in the book. And it's, it's extraordinary experiences.org. And, you know, it's, it's growing, okay. you know, and we'll, we're putting out, you know, uh, 
other types of information on the website too, uh, different organizations and, and all that. So, Excellent. you know, that's, that's another great place to go. And like I said, I mean, she, it, it's, it's got some really great articles that she's written and, you know, all that is just there free for anybody to look at. <laughs> Excellent. Well, we will put all of that in the show notes. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm really good for listening and writing stuff down and making extensive show notes. So if anybody's listening, they can find that on our website, sixdegreesofjohnkeel.com. Lynn, thank you so much for coming to visit with us. Thank you. It was so nice. Thank you so much. We had so much fun. Well, that's all for this week's episode of the Six Degrees of John Keel podcast. If you have any questions or thoughts about the podcast or would like to come and talk about your experiences of the paranormal, you can contact us at 6djk67 at gmail.com. We promise to even answer you, and we are always happy to hear from you. Thank you. Thank you.